Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. You've been criticized in the press for calling yourself Afro-Latina, so please, for the people, explain what that term means. <laughs> Jesus, here we go again. <laughs> Listen okay. up, take notes. Here we go again. Well, basically, um, I am Afro-Latina. I was yes. born and raised in Miami, but my parents are Dominican. Okay. And then the Afro part means I come from, Af- from African descent. I, okay. As you can obviously see, I'm black. But my culture and, and my family and everything, we're, we're Latinos. We're huh. Dominican. So I guess a lot of people get confused with the term, what an Afro-Latino is. It just means that I'm black, but I'm Latina. You yeah, ready? Go. <laughs> Betches Media presents... Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. I am someone's daughter. Congratulations, Mr. President. The Betches Sup Podcast. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Hello, welcome back, everybody. This is Amanda, and I am here with Pooja Asnani, and she is the director of the Immigration Project at Sanctuary for Families. Thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so we're excited to talk to you about a pretty specific element of immigration and how our immigration legislation and policies have sort of been implemented in recent years. Our listeners obviously are majority women, and this is of interest to them. Um, So wanted to dive into some of those areas. So the past several years have seen justified urgency and attention around issues like family separation and DREAMers and DACA. Those were definitely the headline issues. There were obviously a lot of headline issues over the past couple of years. I'm curious, what are some stories surrounding immigration that you think go underreported? Yeah, so, um, you know, being an immigration practitioner, (laughs) I probably have way too many stories Mm -hmm. um, that I could tell you, um, but I'll try to sort of focus on two themes here. Mm -hmm. Um, One, I would say, is asylum. I know that asylum generally gets a lot of coverage, and uh, I imagine many of your readers and and you have been sort of reading about how um, the last administration has been basically trying to dismantle asylum protections as we know them. Um, But I'm not sure if people really have grasped uh, the extent to which they have completely undermined the asylum system. So uh, you can think of it in two different in two ways because it was really done um, uh, in a very systematic uh, way. So one is procedurally, right? Um, asylum is a, a protection that uh, was created under international law um, that allowed for people fleeing persecution and who are afraid to return to their countries to seek help from another country to to say, I'm afraid to go back. Can you please give me protection? Um, And so one way in which this last administration just completely undermined that was basically to shut down the border. Uh, So one of the unique um, aspects of asylum law is that it specifically waives or pardons uh, what's called an unlawful entry, right? If you enter without papers, you didn't have a visa, you know, you you sort of um, an illegal entry, if you will. And asylum law specifically says we overlook that because the people who are seeking asylum are fleeing persecution and are in such a sort of um, 
state of desperation um, and uh, have such a need to protect their lives that they're going to do anything at all costs to try to, you know, save mm-hmm. their lives and seek protection. So one way in which they, uh, the, this government did that was basically uh, create this uh, policy, the Remain in Mexico policy, uh, which uh, shut down the border. It uh, required for people seeking asylum to um, wait in Mexico. Uh, while um, until they were sort of metered into the United States. And so just to give you a sense of the impact that had, um, as of November of 2019, there were 21,000 individuals, um, mostly folks from Central America, including children and families, uh, waiting in border cities across Mexico just for the opportunity to, to tell someone, I want to seek asylum, let alone, wow. you know, wow. you know, claim asylum. It's so odd because it's like, as soon as you come to that realization, I need to seek asylum. The emergency is there. It's an emergency situation. So it's so jarring to hear that there are 20, there are 20,000 people who have already made that desperate call and then are subjected to really terrible conditions while they wait. Absolutely. They effectively are refugee tents, um, you know, uh, in these border towns uh, that a lot of these folks have been living in, um, just waiting for an opportunity. Um, And then, you know, there's sort of other procedural hurdles that the uh, administration set up, including uh, requiring that someone who is um, passing through other Central American countries seek. I I laugh because this is, you know, just such an absurd (laughs) requirement. So let's say someone is coming from um, from South America and they pass through Honduras, Guatemala, or, or El Salvador, they're required to, to first seek asylum in those countries, the countries which, you know, from which there are many people fleeing violence and persecution. Um, so that was another sort of hurdle. And then just, you know, so that's sort of part of the procedure that just made it really impossible and difficult to mm-hmm ask for asylum. You know, I won't even get into what the courts look like. There were all kinds of um, expedited um, sort of categories of cases, uh, including family family cases that were ex- expedited, basically. Uh, they were getting, um, having to present their case and getting orders within a year of arriving in the country, which, um, you know, often didn't afford them the opportunity to find counsel and to present their case adequately and gather the evidence they needed. Uh, and then you have um, substantive changes to asylum law. And I, I, I know that this has been talked about, but I want to emphasize it because I don't think people realize the extent to which this past administration attempted to basically overhaul um, substantive immigration law. They attempted to redefine the the term refugee, which is effectively an asylee, um, which was a protection that was created um, and after World War II under international law and then subsequently enshrined in our Immigration and Nationality Act by Congress, by, you know, legislature. Um, And what this administration tried to do is through um, some judicial decisions issued by a political actor, the attorney general, and through agency rulemaking, um, they created this really far-reaching rule effectively aimed at shutting down the possibility of, of, claims for asylum for those who've been the victims of domestic violence and other forms of gender-based violence. It was specifically targeted at this group. So, I mean, what a, what a, what a phrase specifically targeted at 
at domestic violence survivors. I just don't know what, I mean, we do know what kind of callous brain comes up with that Stephen Miller, but yes, it is so shocking to look back at, even though it's only been a month in this new world, as you're talking, it's just so odd to contrast that with like the ideas of American exceptionalism that we have, that we're this welcoming place that everybody wants to be, but we're like, you stay here and also try to get into that country first. (laughs) Like, absolutely. I mean, it's completely contrary to One, our legal obligations under international law. I mean, a lot of this we're hoping would have been overruled by courts. Some, you know, there there was a lot of pending litigation, but it's so contrary to the American spirit of, you know, welcoming those uh, most in need. Um, So we are currently uh, in a situation. So going back to like the targeting of Mm -hmm. survivors of domestic violence, I mean, this was literally, there was a decision issued by former attorney, Attorney General Jeff Sessions that basically said, um, you know, someone who is a victim of domestic violence is very unlikely to be eligible for asylum because that act of domestic violence was a private act, uh, meaning that um, the government was not involved in it and therefore they don't qualify for asylum. I won't go into sort of the the nuances of the asylum law, but it was it's a complete um, it's contrary to. Uh, inter- you know, um, yeah. widely accepted interpretation of, of uh, asylum law and and um, and simply, I mean, it really just uh, appear to have been purely politically motivated right. to sort of shut down the system of helping survivors. Um, wow. And so where we are right now is that, you know, these rules um, are so far reaching and there's such a web of sort of interconnected policies and rules and memoranda that it can't, it hasn't just been undone, you know, with a new administration. Um, There's no executive order that's just going to, with a stroke of a pen, undo a lot of this. Um, There's pending litigation. There has to be more um, rulemaking, which is a long sort of administrative process that takes months, that takes a lot of political will. And so we don't, you know, know when all of this will be undone, but that, that is something that, you know, is a legacy that's been left behind, a a really tragic and and harmful legacy that's been left behind by this past administration that I don't know if it got as much um, attention as it should have. Right, right. I think people saw, like I said, the headline issues and didn't realize those were part of the whole, the whole system. These were just the worst sounding things of what was happening. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you are searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone on any occasion. Now it's easier to find gifts made by independent sellers for all of the people in your life, like the pickleballers, I know plenty of those, the jazz fan, the artist, the pasta lover, whatever niche interest they have, you can find an incredible gift on Etsy. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, there is something for everyone. There is so much pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas specifically for my dad, but my dad loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves aviation, and he never gets sick of a cute little gift that has a reference to that. And the inventory for that on Etsy is incredible. I hope my dad lives for 200 years because I can get him a birthday present related to aviation or planes from Etsy for every single one of them, if not hundreds and hundreds of years more. There really is that much. A gifting moment is always around the corner, but whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. 
They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. I wanted to also talk about something that the new president uh, mentions often and had a big role in is the Violence Against Women Act. Mm -hmm. We know there are a lot of barriers and dangers facing those who attempt to leave an abusive work situation or relationship at all for a person of any race, of any gender. It's it's a dangerous calculation. But Mm -hmm. what layers does immigration status add to that calculus? Yeah, that's a really, really, really good question. Uh, In fact, uh, when we give trainings on immigration remedies and, you know, humanitarian immigration law, one of the first things we talk about is what are the barriers that are being faced by your immigrant clients who are victims of of this type of um, domestic violence or gender-based violence? So... um, so you can imagine a scenario in which someone is living with an abusive partner and, um, you know, they're afraid of their partner. Their partner is controlling them. Um, there's probably, you know, oftentimes economic de- uh, dependence. There's a lot of emotional manipulation and, you know, shame and guilt that's, you know, uh, might be linked to speaking out against the abuser or seeking help with family and relatives. And then you, th- and then you imagine um, added on to that, someone who doesn't have status in the United States, someone who's um, undocumented, uh, that person might just not have information about the legal system. They just might no- not know that um, the DA's office or you know a prosecutor is going to help me prosecute this person, and I could be safe if I reported it. They, they just mm-hmm. might not understand how all of the different pieces work together. Um, there is um, fear, uh, naturally, of um, the police and the judicial system yeah. as um, potentially aligned with immigration that might deport them if they were to come forward. So we hear this all the time. And this fear has just increased in the past four years that if I wow. come forward and I report to the police or I call 911, I'm exposing myself to deportation um, or, you know, and, and very often um, abusers uh, who um, whose sort of partner is undocumented will in fact use that as a tactic um, to yeah. further um, sort of um, heighten their control over, um, over our client. So there's, fear of the police and judicial system. And, you know, something to keep in mind also is that while police are helpful um, in many places where our clients come from, they're sometimes part of the problem and perpetrating the abuse against our our clients. Um, I, you know, there's this one client from uh, Guatemala that we just represented in an asylum case uh, where she had attempted to report her partner that was viciously um, beating her and actually to the point where she lost a child um, right after the beating. And she attempted to report this to the police. And what they told her was, just go back home. These oh my God. The matters are resolved in the bed, basically, is what the, poli- the police the police officer told her. Um, so, you know, that's obviously, you know, a dis, a, 
a lack of trust, but you know, potentially in the um, ju- judicial system yeah. and the, in the criminal justice system, uh, fear of deportation, uh, language and c- cultural barriers. I feel like that's probably pretty obvious if someone, you know, doesn't speak English, uh, they don't really understand uh, how domestic violence is viewed and potentially differently than it might be in their home country. And I'm sure there are cases where if their partner is um American or a native English speaker, they can manipulate and lie about what options are available to them. Absolutely. I mean, that's a great point, Amanda. I see this all the time. And when I say all the time, I mean, like so many clients I've spoken to have said, yeah, we, I called the police and then my, you know, husband just ended up speaking with the police and told them that everything was fine. And in one case, one of my clients, um, her husband had taken her to see a psychiatrist and the entire meeting took place in English, a language that she didn't speak. No. And because of that, she was prescribed a psychiatric medication oh that my she God. didn't want or need and, you know, had to take this medication. Her, you know, husband forced her to take it. Or um, So it's, it's, there's such a disparity in power just when you're looking at, you know, um, language uh, barriers. Mm-hmm. And then one thing that I, I think people don't realize um, is that there's, little to no safety net for undocumented folks in the United States, right? Like seeking out, um, if you want to escape your abuser, you want to leave, you want to sort of become financially independent. How are you going to do that if you don't have work authorization? How are you going to do that if you can't get food stamps and feed your children? How can you do that if you um, simply can't access the types of services that will let you leave the relationship. Mm -hmm. So um, that is an additional layer, um, uh, um, a challenging sort of barrier for immigrant survivors. Yeah. As you're speaking, it's just, I I wanted to have you on and talk to you about this because I think if more people knew this was how our system is working, they would be appalled because it's just not working. It's not working. There's no path for people that find themselves in these situations. There is theoretically a path. So that's why I want to talk to you about VAWA. How -hmm. does the Violence Against Women Act specifically protect or provide an escape for undocumented women in these domestic violence situations? Does that provide um, a path to safety right now? Is that working as an an add-on question is, is that legislation working as it was intended in your view? So uh, the Violence Against Women Act, Act was very powerful. It did a number of things. It was, it was enacted in 1994 um, as like this sort of overdue recognition that violence against women, um, and not just women, uh, even though you know women is used in the, in the term, but but domestic violence and and gender-based violence is is a serious problem. It's one that's impacting the uh, U.S. economy. That's preventing people from being yeah. able to go to work. And that was you know weirdly like the thing that got Congress to finally be able totally. to pass legislation on it. For yeah. those who know the history of this. Um, so it, uh, it it is really powerful, and its immigration remedies have been. Um, have been transformative for survivors with one big caveat, which is that the remedies available under VAWA are designed for spouses of United States citizens or LPRs. There are a few sort of exceptions when someone is in removal proceedings, but for the most part, it created these incredibly powerful and helpful remedies for someone who is married to an abusive spouse that is um, 
a legal permanent resident, so someone who has a green card or a United States citizen. And so what it does is uh, typically in um, a family-based petition, you know, if you and I were married, Amanda, and, and I'm a citizen and you're not, I really hold all the power in yeah. terms of helping you get your immigration papers. And so what this does is it switches um, or it, it shifts the power to the um, to the to the the victim or the survivor and mm-hmm. says, you do not need to wait for them to petition for you. If you can establish that there's been abuse, wow, yeah. and you have to establish a few other uh, elements, including that, you know, you were legally married, that it was a good faith marriage, you know, not a fraudulent marriage. That's like a sort of a big thing that uh, immigration is concerned about, mm-hmm. even though it happens, you know, not that often um, as, as often as people might think. Yeah. It's magnified way more than it actually Absolutely. happens on the we, yeah. We focus on sort of the the outlying uh, negative stories, yeah, of and that sort of takes over our imagination. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, if you can establish these various elements, uh, the victim themselves um, they can petition for themselves based on this marriage. And another really important feature of the VAWA self petition is that it has a confidentiality uh, protection, such that um, once someone files a VAWA self-petition. Immigration is not allowed to take into consideration derogatory or harmful information then subsequently submitted by the spouse. And they're not allowed to disclose to anyone, including the spouse, obviously the abuser, um, any information about. So the spouse would have no idea that this person is filing this petition. I actually um, had a client who... um, was, who was from Colombia, and she had been married to her husband for 40-something years, um, starting in Colombia, you know, endured horrific abuse for yeah. all of those years. They moved to the United States. He had his papers. Meanwhile, she was undocumented for all of these years. And she filed her VAWA self-petition while she was living with him. And wow. when it was approved, um, you know, she said, uh, now I can finally leave him. That's incredible. And so it sounds like you, your work at um, the Immigration Project at Sanctuary Families, you help them through that process. Yes, yes. Cool. So that's one of the many different types of cases we do. Uh, the VAWA self-petition is sort of um, connected to this other um, remedy, which is a battered spouse waiver, which just happens at a different um, uh, procedural posture, meaning that Got like... It the person has already obtained what's called a conditional green card, like a two-year green card, and they need the spouse to remove the condition. So the battered spouse waiver allows them to say, listen, this person's abusing me. Can I just file a petition myself? Got it. Hey there, overwhelmed foodies. Are you drowning in a sea of meal kit options, feeling like you're in a bad dating game where every contestant looks the same with the same fish picture? Fear not, because amidst the chaos, there's one shining star worth your culinary affection. Home Chef is not just another fish in the meal kit sea. They're the gourmet catch that you've been dreaming of. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes, conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you and the entire family covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week, and they serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it is economical, too. 
Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. So for a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free shipping on your first box and free dessert for life at homechef.com slash feverdream. That's homechef.com slash feverdream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. Homechef.com slash feverdream. You must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. As you said at the top, there is a lot of people in need, a lot of people in the country that are, I think there's 11 million undocumented people. And if half of those are women, then certainly a good percentage are maybe in unsafe situations. So how has that process been working and functioning? Has it been functioning in the past four years? Is that legislation working? What are the barriers and what could remove them? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I would say that the VAWA and the Battered Spouse Waiver are wonderful, really, really, as I mentioned, powerful remedies. The reality that we've seen is that a shift in the the culture of the agency that adjudicates these applications has resulted in a problem that I like to call like death by a thousand cuts. It's like there's so many hurdles and, and they seemingly sort of trivial um, uh, barriers for someone to either get prompt adjudication of their case or get adjudication of their case at all, favorable adjudication of their case, that it has effectively meant that many of our survivor clients that we've been representing in the past four years have been without status. They have been waiting. They have been, um, you know, we've had forms sent back to us. So, you know, these um, remedies um, can be obtained by filing these applications and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're forms that you fill out and so on and you submit additional evidence and so on. Um, and these forms are, some of them are like, you know, 20 pages long and many of the questions don't really pertain to your client. And so, you know, wow. you leave those blank historically. And so what we've been seeing is that these forms oh. just from one day to the next have been kicked back um, when some random non-relevant question hasn't been answered. So that is just an example of like a sort of a petty um, procedure, you know, change in procedure that has resulted in our clients, you know, delays in adjudication. Um, We've seen um, uh, an uptick in denials based on discretion. So our clients have met all of the standards. Like they've, you know, check, check, check. They've sort of, you know, there was a a legal marriage. They, you know, they're not statutorily inadmissible. They didn't commit any crimes that prevent them. But yet USCIS has been coming back to us and saying, effectively, we don't think your client is a good person. And so we're denying this. And and that is very hard to appeal. And so we've seen a lot of that um, go up in the past few years. We've seen an increase in requests for evidence, which delay cases, which re-traumatize our clients by having to tell their story over and over again in different, you know, sort of iterations. Um, 
And so all of these things together, I think, have resulted in what's been a very harsh climate for immigrant survivors. Um, yeah. And so that has not been working. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, in addition to everything with asylum. Um, so the second part of your question had to do with um, what are we hoping to see more yeah. of? Um, so there's a lot to be hopeful for. Um, you may have heard about the U.S. Citizenship Act, which is this sort of, um, you know, uh, a recent proposal that was um, that was issued by 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 President Biden, um, um, and it was just introduced last Thursday. It's basically very commonsensical. It's like yeah. addressing. Um, you know, long overdue needs of the immigration system. Um, you know, the United States is a country of immigrants, but we've seen immigration laws, you know, lag behind the reality of what it is to be an immigrant in the United States. Yes. Um, and so we, I mean, just look at what's happened during COVID, right? We, you, you have essential workers um, exposed in so many different ways. And many of these, you know, home health aides, nurses, food service workers, school aides um, are undocumented folks who have been treated, you know, have been relegated to the margins of society in many ways and who now we are realizing are really the core of our functioning society. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we're hopeful for as through this legislation is that um there will be a multifaceted um, sort of web of solutions to these problems. So I'll, I'll sort of highlight a few of them. Um, so there is a legalization piece, right? We have 11 mm-hmm. million undocumented um, undocumented folks in the United States. And this legalization piece is just it's super common sense. You're like, okay, th- like why wasn't this done um, before? But it basically creates legal status and a path to a green card or legal permanent yeah. resident for anyone who's been in the United States before January of 2021. Um, there are you know, going to be exceptions, criminal and security related, but you, know, you get the point. Um, this uh, will be of crucial importance, not just to immigrants, but also to our survivors who for many yeah. reasons are not getting the approvals that they um, you know, deserve. Yeah, and then wow. there's also the other um, sort of related provision for dreamers. Um, so young folks who were brought over here under the age of 16, uh, we currently are representing around 200 people in that status wow. who will finally have an opportunity to um, to have to permanent legal residence yeah. status. Um, and then the second theme is sort of um, on, on the topic of immigration courts. Um, and something's you know, um, that's specific to our clients is uh, changing uh, the number of people who can be eligible for certain humanitarian benefits. So there's this thing called a U visa, which is a remedy that's available to people who've been the victims of crime and who cooperated yeah. in the investigation or prosecution of that crime. And currently there's a, a cap of only of 10,000 people who can get that um, every year. And what we're seeing is that there's many, 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 by the multiples, uh, more people who are eligible for this than who are getting it each year. And so what that's resulted in is uh, a significant lag such that if you file a U visa application today, you may not get a decision until like 10 years out, during which time 
you don't have access to work authorization, you don't have access to public benefits, uh, you've been the victim of a crime, you've helped the U.S. government investigate that, mm-hmm. and you're just sort of in, in this sort of limbo period. So this um, uh, this act would help um, provide interim work authorization for many of these people. It would increase the cap so that people can get approvals sooner. Um, there's sort of family reunification uh piece that allows um, people to help um, that extends benefits to permanent partners of applicants, which is crucially important for LGBTQ communities um, Mm -hmm. in countries where marriage is not an option. There's so many layers that would just be made easier with a path to citizenship. It just seems like a blanket, easy solution. Absolutely. And so and this is also so relevant for so many of our clients who, um, you know, who's rebuilding of their lives is um, requires access to family support and, yeah. you know, a, su- a, a supportive community. And you can't sometimes do that if you aren't able to bring your son or daughter or, or partner right, over. Right. Um, and so, so where, where are we going to go with this? You know, I think the sort of eternal question is whether or not um, this, you know, th- this all needs to be done by legislative action. It wouldn't be able to be um, enacted through ex- an executive order. So, you know, will it stick into lasting legislative reform? I think a lot of fierce advocacy is needed. Um, Sanctuary is, is um, working with many other groups around the country to, um, to highlight these priorities, um, to help move us forward um, in protecting immigrants survivors. Um, and so uh, this is where everyone can help. Yes. <laughs> so if I could do my little plug. Please. Um, uh, so what we would love for people to do is to urge your representatives to get to work. Yeah. Uh, no action is too small or too insignificant, as this is how a lot of actual change happens by individuals just speaking up and, and letting their representatives know that they care about this issue. And as you push for reform, uh, make sure to tell anyone and everyone who will listen that this is not yet law. It's great that President Biden is, yes. is supports this. It is not yet the law. Um, and it won't get there until, you know, people sort of uh, mobilize uh, to push for it to happen. Um, this is also an overwhelmingly popular issue, polling-wise, yes. among Americans. And that's something that's good to remind you. If you have a senator, especially if you have representatives who are away on this issue that is not favorable, tell them that you're ready to, that that's your, that's your issue, that you're going to be watching through the next couple of elections. I think we all feel really, this is the, I think around this, around here, we all feel really strongly that this yeah. immigration reform, it can't wait anymore. And we have to take every chance we get to make it happen very soon. Absolutely. I mean, people's Lives are literally <laughs> hanging yeah, in the balance. Yeah, people live in panic and stress all the yeah. time. Friends of yours do that they probably don't talk about, but they do. So we will definitely take that advice. Thank you so much for yes. your time and information, Pooja. Until the end of Democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. This is the Betches Up Podcast. The Betches Up Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Artwork by Brittany Levine. Our podcast director is Sean Kilby. Be sure to follow us at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send your emails to SupPod at Betches.com. Betches Up. Betches.